0: You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys Podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Vadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys Podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog
1: Recording, and I'm Ben from DreamLoud Studio. It's been a while. We haven't recorded an episode in forever it feels like. It does, man. I feel like everything in my life has changed even though it's all the same. Really everything has changed in your life cuz we're co- we're coming to you from a different a different studio location.
0: That's right. That's right. Different backdrop. I've been building out this room. I posted a couple things on it in the Facebook group and on social media. And man, did I underestimate the amount of effort <laughs> that it takes. I am just appalled at how much time I've spent <laughs> <laughs> building these panels we're actually gonna do a whole episode on room setup because it's been I know it's been yeah. a couple of years since you've set up a room and for me it's been I don't know five six years since I've done any significant anything significant to a room so this was an interesting exercise for me to dust off my how to set up a room hat and when you and I were talking offline about how terrifying it is yeah. because we get used to our like a room is really one of your key tools when you're making music. I'm so used to my room. I've gotten so comfortable in my old room. Once I had my stuff in here and I was like the new the old room is no more. It doesn't exist. I've broken it down. Wow. And now I'm in this new room and I have to make it work and I did have some uh some panic moments, but I think it's going to be okay. It's going to it's going to
1: work out. <laughs> That's interesting too because like now you're tackling, building your setup, knowing what you're doing so you can be very intentional versus, I'm sure you were similar to me whenever I started working in this room. I started with the bare basics. I have my computer, monitor, um, screen monitor, and then speakers. And then I realized, oh, I need acoustic treatment. Oh, maybe my positioning isn't quite perfect. So Mm. I made all these small adjustments over months and years uh, to fine tune it, but you're trying to go in and nail it like right away so you could keep working like that's very different
0: that's true. It is a little bit different and a little bit the same because i've I've done this now, like you said, in some form, whether it 's just setting up like a laptop, but in some form or another i've tried to carve out spaces to work in five times call it since i've yeah. started getting into making music and every time. I go into it thinking this time I know what I'm doing, so I'm going <laughs> to do it right. And every time I I say to myself, okay, I made a couple of mistakes. Next time is going to be the time I get it right. But also every time I say, by the time I'm done, I say I will never set up another room ever again <laughs> because of how long it takes. But five years later, I'm like, I could I could set up a room. It's, it's, yeah. been,
1: a, <laughs> it's been a while. I could make some improvements. Yeah. That's very funny. You know, I... I think of, um, when you talk about it, it reminds me the same as songwriting. Like, I get mm. done with a song, and, you know, we'll talk about a little bit of this, I'm sure, in the episode today, but I get done writing a song, and I think about all the mistakes that I made or like, man, I should really make a, a, a template for my tone, my guitar tone and bass tone, so I don't have to pick things from scratch. And then you're like, oh, I have this perfect template, and then you set it up, and you inevitably, like, tweak with things, like, every time. It's
0: just the thing. Yes. It's a never-ending journey, that is yeah. for sure. But yes, I did I, I built all these panels that you see in here. Actually, we had uh Yesco Lohan on the podcast a yeah. while back from Acoustics Insider. And he has a course that I ended up enrolling in called Build a Better Bass Trap. So uh, it's a really cool course, actually. Shout out to him. Again, we'll we'll cover it more on the episode on, on room setup, but I did find it made my life a little bit easier because the first time i built panels in my first space, i really was kind of guessing i was like this seems like it could work uh get a bigger hammer you know but this time (laughs) i had a little more direction
1: and uh it helped it helped a lot and they actually look really good too so that's cool thanks yeah that's always the thing with like doing i mean we're all about diy recording but the one thing about DIY is like sometimes you can really tell it's it's DIY. And <laughs> I like that with yeah. those panels. I mean, they you could tell they're DIY, but they look good, though. They look intentional DIY.
0: <laughs> yeah, int- exactly. I love that. Intentional <laughs> DIY. Also, like um, the other day, my uh, my wife's sister walked into this room and she was like, it smells like Home Depot in here. I was like, "You're right. It's that. It's that fresh cut lumber smell. It's just. Mm-hmm. It's uh. It's like a new car smell. It's kind of nice. All of the um. You know, untreated wood, and it it actually is like a nice place to work in. It just.
1: It feels good to be in here. So that's that's been fun. That's great, man. I can't. I can't wait to hear more updates and you know get into that room setup episode. Yes, yes, I'm excited for that episode
0: as well. Uh, before we dive into today's episode, which we haven't named yet, but it's going to be something about like recording day 2 uh mixing hack or something like that something sexy yeah. but before we get into that <laughs> give me a give me a quick
1: update on what you've been up to so dude i'm super pumped i finished writing this song that i've been working on for a long time and delivered it to uh the vocalist i know that agreed to do his vocals on it so mm-hmm. it's pretty much done i've done like a first mix on it like and you know i always have this tendency to especially for my own music. I want to just tweak and tweak and tweak. But eighty twenty rule, I'm like, that makes is 80% of the way there. It's sounding pretty good. I'll send it off. And I can make adjustments while I'm waiting for the vocals to come back. But mm. I'm pumped it's done. I'm pumped it's in his hands and I'm just waiting on it there. We're, we're We're getting close to finishing it. But the thing I'm super pumped about is part of the agreement with this vocalist was he didn't have time to write Vocals to it, he said, "I'll do it, but you have to write the parts, like the melodies was, lyrics, everything, everything." Okay, and I, of course, when he texted me that, my my heart sank into my into my lower intestines <laughs> because I do not write vocals, and that's probably the thing. You know, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't be revealing this being a studio myself, but vocals is one of the things that I can tend to struggle with in a weird way because, um. Even though vocals are just like another melody line, like it's so much easier for me to write guitar melodies. I really sat down for a good solid week working on it, um, coming up with better and better ideas, doing some co-writing with my wife and with another good friend that came over. And it just was like, it was 80% of the way there, but the music was like 100% of the way there. And so I just mm. kept thinking to myself like, I don't want to send this off without it being without the vocals being just as good as the music. So I sat on it a couple more days and I was washing, washing dishes and a melody popped into my head and I was like, I wonder if that'll work. And that was it, man. And so it was, it was a really cool experience. It felt super rewarding because I didn't give up on it because that was a real labor of love to, to get it done. I think it sounds great. Um, I did my own vocal performances on it, which I think actually sound pretty good. I was pretty impressed with what I was able to give him. So um, yeah, super excited for it to come back and and really happy with the direction. And it's the first song I've completed in a long time, so it's a good feeling.
0: That's right. So yeah, that that that's very challenging, I think, to write, especially because you're writing with somebody else's voice in mind. I, I assume yeah. you'd heard stuff that this vocalist has done right so you had a Mm -hmm. a frame of reference for like his range and all that
1: yeah yeah i listened to kind of my process there which yeah i've never done this before writing for somebody else so i started with kind of putting on my favorite songs vocally that he did in his other band and just kind of listening through you know, one to three before one to three of those songs before I started thinking about writing melodies
0: for inspiration. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And trying to get into that headspace. Like I was trying to method act in my studio and writing. I'm like, I am, (laughs) I am Ryan and I'm going to sing these vocals like him. And ultimately at the end of the day, I think that did influence me, but I wound up going with what I thought sounded best. Yeah. That is very challenging. I mean, it's like, it's like It'd be
0: like writing a guitar solo for somebody else, right? Yeah. It's Not doesn't necessarily match what they do, what their style is. So, I'm curious to uh, to hear what it comes out like for that method acting portion. I think maybe you could like get him to. It would help if he like sent you some of his old T shirts you could put on while you're trying <laughs> yeah. to get into his headspace or something like that. Yeah. Ask him what his favorite candle scent is. Maybe have that going <laughs> in the room. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It was Maybe fun though. Maybe some of his and- home videos, yeah, some from yeah. his childhood. I don't know. You can- anyway, <laughs> but that's very cool, man. I'm excited. You've been you've been thinking about that song a long time, and um yes. I can't wait to hear what it, what it sounds like. Okay, well, let's dive into today's episode, like post production slash uh, a better way to set up for your mix. And this is inspired by something I've talked about on a recent episode. It's an interview I read with Andrew Sheps. I feel like I keep referencing oh. the same interview over and over again. It's an interview from Tape Op Magazine, which is a wonderful publication you can t- subscribe to for free. Um, and they talk to different producers, different engineers. So this is an interview with with Andrew Sheps, who has big-time credits like Adele, Red Hot Chili Peppers,
1: Green Day. Yeah, I was going to say, um, he did one of my favorite records, Stadium Arcadium, man. That's him. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right on.
0: So in this interview, it was just a general interview with him talking about his days coming up, and he was talking about making records in the 90s. And I'm gonna not even mm-hmm. paraphrase here, I'm just gonna give give you the distilled version, but he talks about how in the 90s, making records was a very, like we'll call it a front-loaded process, okay? So you would have a band with a budget, and even even pre, pre-90s, right, going back as far as records were made up to that point. Band with a big budget, they come into the studio, they're gonna spend weeks in the studio. In the studio, there's dozens of guitars, dozens of amps. And they spend a lot of time as a band with the producer and the engineer, picking tones, choosing the right guitar, setting up microphones, tweaking things, renting equipment if they need equipment, right? Bringing in session players if they need session players. So you do all of this work up front. Mm. And then you hit record and then you record the parts. And then mixing is like more about just pushing up the faders and maybe doing some automation. Because I remember reading elsewhere, people talking about like, oh yeah, and then I had a a free day and I would do a mix. And it's like, to me that was like, wow, that's crazy. You could do like a whole mix in like four hours, but they could do that because of this front loaded processor. All the tones and everything were already there. Today, fast forward to today, we have more of like a back-end loaded process, right? Where we have a framework maybe for a song. We record like guitar DIs, right? Maybe we have drum MIDI. And then as quickly as we can, we jump into the mix. In the mix, we're choosing tones. We're picking synths for the background and maybe even cutting, copy-pasting stuff to finalize mm-hmm. the arrangement and create loops and so on. And so this mixing process is like a very intensive process. What, what at least what I you know for years considered to be mixing. And um, let's you jump in there. Is is this ringing any bells for you? Is this rep like representative oh, yeah. of your
1: workflow at all? Absolutely. Like I think, you know, I'll I'll reference my coming up in mixing because I started really diving in and learning this in probably the you know mid 20 2010s so much later than andrew sheps and i think by that point the the approach was more we'll fix it in post we'll we'll do all this stuff later and it's almost kind of like it even kind of fits the workflow of especially us diy guys because maybe you bring in a band and they don't well all bands in general don't have nearly as much of a budget and so with a lesser budget means just less time in general to record so uh i've done <laughs> i've done a lot of projects where a band comes in for a weekend and wants to record a full 3 song ep and that's a hard thing to do from you know saturday 9am until sunday at you know 9 9pm 9 or 10pm or later like to get 3 songs done is is quite a chore so what you wind up doing is you just get the best takes you can or you th- or you tr- just try to capture the bare minimum that you know you can fix or work with after the fact. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head and that, this is actually exactly where I wanted to go next is, you know,
0: thinking about why is that the case? And he, he talks about it a little bit in in the interview and he says some of the exact things you mentioned there, which is that studio time is expensive, budgets are smaller, right? Whether you're in the DIY sphere or whether you're Adele maybe not Adele but like a bigger artist your budget isn't what it used to be so we need to be a little bit faster also like recording technology has come a long way where like now clean precise recordings are accessible to all of us at home right so I think we are more used to uh, being able to get something quick and dirty down and having it be usable because of this next point which is that digital signal processing and computing power has improved so much to where yeah. now it's like we can just record the DI and like we can get the tones later even using plugins like AM simulators have come such a long way. So um, I think the, the final reason is just kind of a laziness factor also comes into play when you're recording your own music which is that it's easier to just sit and do stuff with a mouse and keyboard if you can get away with it mm-hmm. than like running back and forth to the other room and like adjusting your SM57 on your amp cabinet, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) So this is great. You know, we all, I think in the DIY sphere tend to work like this and it's fine. Most of us get away with it. Certainly I get away with it for for, for years and years, (laughs) but there are some challenges with this kind of back loaded approach. And just to name a few, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on these as well. One is that we have to use a lot of plugins and a lot of digital signal processing, right? Amp sims, high quality ones, reverbs, high quality ones, virtual instruments, they all chew up a lot of processing power. So I know for me, very often, I run into these massive sessions where my computer is like at the limit of of what it can do and I have to start uh, committing to tracks. Um, Another point I'll mention is two many options leads to paralysis by analysis, if you've heard that expression. So there is a tendency to, oh, that guitar doesn't sound quite right. I'm going to pull that amp sim back up and start tweaking the amp settings on there. It's like we haven't committed. So it gives you the possibility of constantly going back and second guessing, which again, this is all written in blood. I'm guilty of this. The third thing I'll mention is the intimidation factor. This is maybe not the case for everybody, but for me, certainly I sometimes I'll jump into doing a mix and the tracks are so raw and Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm like, this is a mountain to climb. This is an elephant that I have to eat with a teaspoon, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's intimidating to start a mix from that point. So I'll kick it over to you. You got any anything to add there on
1: the challenges of this backloaded process? Yeah, I totally agree with you on the first one. Um as far as like just having bigger sessions, like especially my whole setup is digital, so pretty much on every track I'm adding some type of analog saturation to just give it more of that analog thickness and vibe depending on the genre. But um yeah, like I'm I'm kind of trying to make up for less vibe on the front end. Um Right. But one thing I will add too is that, you know, it really resonated with me here. What was exactly your second point? I know what I wanted to say, but what was the second point? Uh paralysis by analysis. Okay, so I definitely am super guilty of this one as well. <laughs> I will say I've gotten way better though, especially about writing music, and I think it's because the vision for what I want my music to sound like has only clarified the more that I've worked on it and the more experience that I've that I've gained Mm. from working on things in the studio. So um, let's talk about guitar tone in general. Like when I go into writing a song, if I have like a very distinct idea of what I want my guitar to sound like, I want it to sound like grungy, like a Gojira guitar tone, but still some of that high fizz that you get from like a high, high gain amplifier and maybe like a metal core thing. So I have a very specific vision. I want to get somewhere in between there. So I know whenever my tone is kind of achieved that when I'm tweaking it instead of I'll um, contrast that instead with going into something, trying to create it and saying, hey, that tone sounds pretty good, but I've only gone through two, two fifths of my presets. Mm. Maybe there's a better one that I haven't even, even tried out yet. So yes. Instead of just realizing that, okay, I've achieved my vision, I'll move on. Instead, you get into this very nitpicky, detailed headspace where you're just not sure. And so you just try everything to see just maybe there's a better one on the horizon. It's actually one of the reasons why I
0: still have analog amps for my own music is because I don't want to go through that. It's hard enough with the amps I have to dial in a tone that I want. Without yeah. having also ten other amps I <laughs> can choose yeah. from, with each one with ten other knobs, right? Yeah. So so it got me thinking all of this, and I was thinking about what a hybrid approach might look hmm. like, and this is where I kind of tried this this day two process. And so I'll give you a scenario. This is this is real. This is the last song I I produced. Uh, It was a song that I produced and mixed and mastered, actually. And so we did the pre-production. The artist and I is just an acoustic uh, singer-songwriter. And so, so we had that production laid out. We had, you know, the drum tracks. We went back and forth with a couple of demos. We knew what the layout of the song was going to be like. Then we had our... This is our day one recording session. Which was to say we recorded acoustic instruments. So he came into the studio... We recorded the acoustic guitar, we recorded vocals, and then I think later that day or maybe the the next day, I recorded the the bass, and some other like whatever shakers and ukulele was the other one I had. If you remember, I was recording ukulele. Oh yeah. So this is um. Let's we'll talk about acoustic guitars, right? I recorded four channels of acoustic guitar. Actually, I tried your uh, mid side technique. So i had one microphone looking at the the neck body joint another one underneath it in a uh, figure eight pattern to get, pick up the sides love that by the way i think that's going to be my go-to mm, awesome and then i had a th- uh, third microphone small diaphragm condenser on the bridge for some sparkly top end and then of course i took a di because it was an acoustic electric and why not so now i'm sitting here i have four channels of acoustic guitars I mm-hmm. have a bass track. I have all these vocal tracks that we recorded. And instead of jumping into what I would consider like this is my mix session, a lot of this is semantics. It's it's a, it's a mindset uh, yeah. compart- compartmentalization. But I did what I would call a day two recording session by myself. And what I mean by this is I did a second day where I was just focusing on tones and listening to things in solo and I think this is the key distinction for me when we're mixing we're making decisions for the mix how things fit together yeah and I didn't want to do that yet so for example acoustic guitars so I spent you know a couple of hours or an hour or whatever I don't remember whatever was appropriate listening to the mics blending them the way I wanted and uh, even reamping the acoustic guitar tone where I just ran it through like my, uh, a preamp I had to warm it up as a line level mm. signal. So I did all of this work just listening to the acoustic guitar to get the acoustic guitar sound I wanted. And at the end of that process, I was left with a single stereo track mm. that I called acoustic guitar. And man, I could just breathe a <laughs> sigh of relief. I didn't have to go in with four mic tracks plus a bus. Right for all the the acoustic guitar bus, I just had my stereo acoustic guitar track, and I did the same thing I did the same thing for bass. I reamped the bass I did the same thing for vocals I edited and comped all the vocals and then I quote unquote reamped them at, uh, again as well, which is something I've been doing lately I was I run a line level signal out and in through like a fancier preamp to add some some coloration mm. so I did I spent a day doing all of this work and then I was ready to start the mix. So I'll let you uh comment comment there. You ever do something similar with tone commitment and focusing I'm, on solo instruments?
1: Yeah, I love I love what you said about acoustic guitar, because it's been a while since I've recorded acoustic guitar like that, but I do prefer to kind of have um like a mini mix session when acoustic mm. guitar is done, just to kind of commit to those tones and turn it into a stereo track. 'Cause it just makes it so much more bearable to deal with. Like the the last acoustic session I had was for that Nefel song we were working on. And that's the one where I threw like nine different mic sources on it just mm-hmm. to go all out. And we did <laughs> we did two stereo performances in the big section. So that's eighteen acoustic guitar tracks that all need blended with each other. And yeah, I could put that in to my session to mix, but I just didn't feel like it. I felt like it would be way more uh, bearable to balance all those levels together. If nothing else, just balance the mic levels together and print it as a stereo, um, as a stereo file. Because then that way, I only have one acoustic track to worry about in my mix. Right.
0: Uh, and again, I, I want to keep spiking this out because th- I was thinking about what's the difference between this and what I do when I mix. But I think one of the key differences is on this day two session, I still I don't care about my rough balance between the instruments. I really yeah. took the time to listen to just each instrument one at a time and just massage it to get to something that I thought was a little more polished. So that was kind mm-hmm. of, the, I think, the, the big distinction for me. And I even applied like some some gentle EQ and compression, but again, it was all in just in solo because you hear this in mixing a lot. You'll hear people say, "Don't solo your thing when you're when you're EQing, right? Don't mm-hmm. uh, because that's not the point. The point is not for it to sound good in solo. The point is for it to sound good as a mix. But here, I'm specifically treating it almost as a recording session where I want to. Uh, ch- I'm choosing tones, right? So that was the um the, the kind of the difference for me. The other thing I did was i spent i spent a couple of hours on the drums which were programmed just going through listening to the drums getting better fills better transitions and playing with velocities and also then i bounced out the drums right so now i have a stem for kick drum a stem for snare drum and so on so i have all my drum stems and then also as part of this process this day two session I also listened with like my imagination hat is what I called it. So I listen and just take notes in a notebook. Just first thing that comes to mind. Like, okay, verse one sounds cool. Uh, You know, I'm going to pan the guitar to the left. I'm going to have the vocal here. I'm going to have like a vibrato effect on the vocal, whatever. The chorus comes in. I'm going to have the ukulele spike out. to You know, just my notes, my general, what am I hearing? What am I feeling? So then I have this, I have my tones i have my notes which gives me a vision now it gives me a direction for where the song should go then i do save as and now i have a new session for mixing i import we talk about templates i import my tracks and buses from my template and now i'm ready to start quote unquote mixing now i'm doing critical listening with all the tracks together And you find, of course, to blend things, you still need to do EQ. You still need to do compression. But you're starting with, first of all, a smaller track count. And second of all, something that is much closer to the final result. So now you only have half an elephant to eat and you have
1: a spoon and a knife. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I, I love it. I also like taking that extra second recording day as well to kind of clean up any, um, beginnings and ends of recordings or MIDI so that everything, so that every bounce track has the same start point and end point. Just makes it a lot cleaner to me. And if, you know, let's say for any listeners out there, if you're recording stems to send to somebody else to mix, they're going to very much appreciate it, uh, if they have tracks that are all lined up correctly. or all so that there's no question in mind as to when the tracks are supposed to start and end. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 w- that that is one of my takeaways which
0: we'll get into next, but those little things, those little edits, those little bits of noise at the beginning or end of a track, when you're trying to focus on like what is the right EQ curve? Those little things just distract you. It's like a fly yeah. buzzing around your ear and you're like, "Well, what is that?" And now you have to go clean that up. So to yeah. get all that stuff out of the way and now start with a clean mindset and a clean session, I also color my tracks, which we've talked about in our templates, right? And I put yes, markers, um, time markers for verse one. This is the chorus, this is verse two. It just um, makes for a smoother workflow. And you always talk about you know, how long, how much time can you spend in the creative mode, creative part of yeah. your brain? And this lets you do that. So yeah, that's, I guess, just, go through some takeaways and I'll let you comment on each one of these. Sure. My first impression is a funny one. The first thing I felt when I started pulling up faders was like guilt for some reason. <laughs> Hear me out. I pulled up the fader on the acoustic guitar and the vocal. Cause those are the main things. And I was like, this sounds good. Like this sounds like a song, but I didn't have to, I haven't done anything yet. And I was like, what am I? You know you feel like you have to do something sometimes.
1: Yeah. I think that feeling of guilt is is okay if you just remember that well I took that time. Right. With my post production.
0: You still did the work. You just yes. yeah. It it's it's so true. Um and this this brings me to my next point which is that I found I still needed to EQ the guitars right? Mm -hmm. But now I was EQing them in the context of the mix. I was saying, how does the guitar sit with the vocal and the bass? So now I'm making a different set of decisions. So first, you know, day two, recording day two was just get the guitar to sound as good of an acoustic guitar as I can get. And then mixing was like, okay, let's make that sound work for this mix. So it's not like you don't need to do anything. You still need to do stuff. But this is, I think, now replicating what as you said, what mixes kind of used to be like back in the day. Um, my next takeaway was that my session was much smaller and either easier to navigate. And what I mean by that is two things. One is a smaller track count, yeah, which means if nothing else, less scrolling, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, Less scrolling in the session, which was nice. It was just easier to navigate. I didn't feel so claustrophobic. And also smaller plugin count. Like I didn't, reach my ram exceeded dreaded yes. ram exceeded uh notification also i'll say that committing to tones like you talked about getting at 95 percent of there was actually easier than i expected i wasn't because i now i already started a new session i bounced my tracks right i wasn't tempted i didn't find myself tempted to go back and be like oh, what if i tweak that thing it was like no this is the track i have it's a stereo acoustic yeah. guitar track now I will massage it however I need to massage it, but I was worried about maybe developing the temptation to go back and play with yeah. the original stems. I didn't. I was
1: like, cool, this is what I'm working with now. By printing and committing to something and then bringing in your new session with your printed tracks, you're kind of leveraging that, that DIY laziness where now it's, now it's more work to go back yes. and tweak the tone. Yes. So you're kind of setting yourself up for success in that way and you know when you think about it at the end of the day like what's what's the worst thing that you can ha- that can happen like all the tone wasn't it was 1 or 2% worse than what I thought it was originally. I can work with 1 or 2%. Exactly. Exactly. That's why we have all this fancy
0: fancy DSP. Yes. So from a workflow standpoint I found that because I was pushing up faders and stuff was sounding good I got into the automation writing point faster, which I found mm. to be positive. So much, I was, instead of being, you know, f- talk about the, the furrowed brow effect, instead of furrowing my brow and then like tweaking and EQing things and trying to get them to sound right, pretty quickly I was like, okay, I'm, now I'm working with volume automations and pan automations and the mix was starting to move a lot yeah. faster for me, which was, which was good. I will say that overall, I don't think I saved any time, certainly, by doing this, right? Because like you said, I still did the work. I still did all the work I would normally do, but it was a segregated mindset, right? I did the work. I kind of like chunked the work, ate the elephant one bite at a time. And when I got to what I would now call mixing, it was much more enjoyable. It was much more like I was grooving pretty quickly yeah. and just like moving stuff around. And it felt like a more, uh, more
1: enjoyable process I don't really ever feel like I save time when I do that but what I will say is and that's mostly because I I love doing what I'm doing so normally I'm always going to spend like eight hours on a mix just because that's kind of the allotted time I've given myself like it normally normally takes me a full day so if I get done with certain things early I'm just going to spend that extra time tweaking things so what that does mean though like you mentioned about automation if I'm stressing over like tones in a mix, that takes a long, long time. Like if I only have DIs or if I'm still messing with the DIs in a mix, it takes a long time to dial in tones. So by that eighth hour, I'm barely getting like just um, the vibe in the mix together. Whereas if I have committed tones already, that last couple hours might only be spent on automation. Yes. So I'm doing more that's of that the fun, fun part, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's fun because
0: when, when most of your song is already sounding good and now you're just adding embellishing flourishes, that's when you're, for, for me anyway, that's when I'm like having fun. I'm like, oh, here comes the chorus. I love the way this chorus sounds, you know? And then I'm just tweaking yeah. things and touching things in as opposed to what you said, which is, again, this is really like you might be saying, well, yeah, but you still took the eight hours. It's like, yeah, but my mindset, I wasn't worried when i was doing right. the day 2 tone choosing i wasn't worried that like my chorus wasn't sounding right because i was just focused on getting the guitar to sound good getting the vocals right. to sound good so it's a, yeah it's a more enjoyable uh, workflow process i already mentioned this last point i had which is that there are no or there are less distractions i just found again because the editing was done because the tones were pretty much there and because i didn't have the option of retweaking the mic balances. Like if I had those four guitar channels that I recorded and I wanted it to be brighter, my temptation might be to go and adjust the mic balance, right? Yeah. Which is fine. because, But with having one track, I just scrolled up to my one track. I had a, one EQ plug in on it. I pulled that up and just made yeah. the guitar brighter and I was happy in 10 seconds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing else to add. I completely agree. <laughs> cool. So
0: yeah, it's an interesting thing I would say try it if you want some some actionable items here. I would say think about segregating your song creating process into these three steps. We'll, we'll ignore pre-production for now. We'll assume you already have the outline of the song. Do a day one recording. And that doesn't mean it has to take one day. You can, you know, do what you got to do. Record your tones. This is also great because we talk about If you're newer to mixing, sometimes it's scary to commit to something like compression or EQ, what if I can't change it later? So don't right away, get your recording done, focus on your performance, nail your performance. Then take day two where you're not mixing yet, but you're going over those tracks a second time, editing, choosing tones. If you don't have analog gear to like, I'm talking about reamping a line level signal through a preamp, that's fine pull up like a tape plug-in or something to just add some fatness and saturation if it needs it and commit to those things. At the end of that day two process, bounce your stems out. As Ben said, make them all the same length. These are now the tracks you are going into the mix with and see, see how you feel. See how you feel starting that mix. Well, cool. Um, any any final thoughts on our day two recording process? And is that is that? And do you like the that terminology? Like, I was can't really come up with a better name for this work. The only process. only I'm sure there's it's a better cool. one
1: out there. It's a cool name for it. Um, I'm almost might call it pre mixing too, because hmm. in some ways it is kind of like it is kind of a post production. But I don't like the term post production because yeah. Originally to me that implied, oh, this is after I'm done mixing, I'm adding post-production, which I do sometimes. I don't like to do that. I think that's a worst workflow, but sometimes I get inspired after the mix is done already. What else can I add? Sure. But we could call this a pre-mixing phase or a date to recording. Yeah, yeah. Pre-mix
0: is a a good one. So you have pre-production. You have the production or the recording, I guess. Yeah. Then you have the pre-mix, mix prep, something like that. Yeah. Then you do the mix. Then you could have post production. I do that all the time. I'm like, you know what? This needs a little bell. Yeah. <laughs> and you can throw that, tuck that stuff in there. Little. I think you called them sexy bits once, which we'll just just go with that. <laughs> the sexy bits. Tuck those in. Yes. And then mastering. Yeah. So it's um it's hard to make a song, man. It takes a lot of work. So kudos to all of you DIY enthusiasts out there making music. It's a, it's a labor. It's a labor of love and more power to you. Stay tuned for our episode on uh, Studio Build. And we'll see you soon. Until then, it's the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right. If you're enjoying the podcast take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media also benjamin and i are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions so if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on reach out you can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com get me on instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at CalmFrogRecording.com, and you can check Benjamin's workout at DreamLoudStudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at DreamLoudStudio, or by email Ben at DreamLoudStudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.